humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans. It's me, Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio. Happy New Year. Happy 2023. Oh, my God. And you know what? Uh, not only is this our first show of 2023, but we are now entering, if you can believe it, entering the sixth, sixth, like number sixth year of this show and heading eventually sometime this year to episode 300. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, and again, my hat is off <laughs> to Chad Larson, the station owner, because trust me, this, sta- this show, I don't know how much we're paying the bills, if any, okay? And so he's been very kind to me to let me be on this show. And if you're new to the show, okay, since it's the beginning of the year, we should probably say this. I'm Ellie Krug, an idealist for most of my life. And this show that you're listening to right now is about idealism and idealists, both historical and present day. This is people, idealists, working to make the world better. Seeking for positive change. That's what this show is all about. And we have a great show to start off the new year. The big interview is with Greg Anderson, the curator of the podcast Living in Carver County, Minnesota. And someone you'll share, you, I am sure that you will enjoy because he's got a wonderful, sparkling personality. Um, and he's going to talk about getting out of one's personal protective bubble. So I think it's a very, it's going to be a great interview. And in my C block, I'm going to talk to you about my work as an idealist. But let us begin with this week's featured idealist, a name that really burst onto the national scene late last year when, uh, you know, House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced that she was retiring from congressional leadership. I'm speaking of Hakeem Jeffries who has assumed the reins of House Minority Leader in the wake of the Republicans' thin House majority. Literally, as I'm taping this show, they're battling it out about Kevin McCarthy. So who is Hakeem Jeffries, and how did he get elevated to lead the House uh, Democrats? Well, to begin with, Jeffries is a lifelong New Yorker, born in New York City in August of 1970. That makes him 52 years old. His mother was a social worker and his father was a substance abuse counselor. He attended public school and then went to Binghamton University in upstate New York. He then went on to Georgetown, where he earned a Master of Public Policy degree. But in a reflection of how personally driven Jeffries is, he then went on to law school, graduating from NYU Law. I mean, we're like, it's not a shabby law school graduating from there in 1997. Now, after spending a year clerking for a federal judge in New York's Southern District, so if you're going to clerk for a federal judge in America, you do it in the Southern District. Okay, I'm just telling you, because that's where a whole lot is happening. Um, But after his clerkship, his his trajectory seemed to be big law, okay? You know, he was hired by one of the largest law firms in the world, Paul Weiss, doing litigation and no doubt making a six-figure salary, okay? As a young man making a very, trust me, it probably would be in the vicinity of $200,000 a year just to start out as a lawyer those days. After six years of working big law, okay, he then went on to become an in-house litigator for CBS and Viacom. I mean, you look at this guy's paper at that point, you're like, ah, 
he's going to go and, you know, maybe be general counsel for some company someday, going to be, you know, making seven figures doing all that. He's on his way to do that. Look at that. And then along the way, while still with big law, okay, in the 2000s, Jeffries attempted to jump, start a political career by running for the New York State Assembly. Uh, it's a seat that he, it was, you know, these are Democratic seats, so he had to go against the incumbent, and uh, he lost twice. He tried to do this, try and get into the New York State House twice. He lost two Democratic primaries back-to-back. But in 20, so he's tenacious. So what do we know about him already? First, we know he's well-educated. Secondly, we know that he's driven, okay? And third, we know that he's tenacious because after— Losing twice to try and get in the New York State House. In 2006, he won the primary and then the general. And then for six years, he served in the New York State Assembly. That's their legislature, where he introduced over 70 bills. So now let me add to this. The guy works hard (laughs) and has an imagination, okay? And among those bills was a bill to protect children from hazardous toys. And then there was another bill to prevent police departments from collecting data on stop and frisk. So the police departments, what they were doing is they'd stop and frisk people, then they'd enter the names of the people that they stopped and frisked into a database in order to know maybe they should go stop and frisk them again. So he, he put an end, he, I, I think that bill passed to collect, stop police office, police departments from doing that. So six years in the state legislature, the assembly in New York, and in 2012, Jeffries ran for and was elected to represent New York's eighth congressional district. And that includes much of Brooklyn and parts of Queens and Coney Island. Certainly, he was a favorite in that race, building a coalition that included for, former New York Mayor Ed Koch and where more, nearly half of the money that Jeffries raised for this, his first run in uh, the House of Representatives, th- that would be the U.S., um, more than half the money he raised came from out of state. Uh, and so, hold on a second, I... I just lost a page in my in my notes. Well, that is not very good, Ellie. How did you do that? Okay. Well, there we go. All right. So, um, he uh, Jeffries, in addition to other things. Okay. So he gets into the he gets into Congress. Here we go, El. Um, and and uh, back in 2012, originally elected to Congress, and he was reelected in 2014, 2016, and 2018, which included him gaining the role of chair of the House Democratic Caucus beginning in January of 2019. And as such, he was the fifth-ranking member of Democratic leadership. Now, for me, Jeffrey's name popped up onto my radar with the first impeachment trial of Donald Trump when he was one of the seven House managers, and I think he was the primary manager for the first impeachment case. And in terms of his legislative priorities, Jeffries is considered a centrist Democrat who will work with Republicans. Okay, he said he will do that. And he's on the House Judiciary Committee and Intellectual Property Subcommittee. He's a firm supporter of Israel. Know that. Okay. Which, uh, you know, we'll see where that goes. Also, following the—I'm anticipating that Israel is going to do some things— that are going to not be really great for world peace, uh, given the current Israeli 
uh, leadership. All right, I diverted. That was a rabbit hole that I went down. Sorry. Okay, also following the December 2014 chokehold death of Eric Gardner in Jeffrey's congressional district, okay, Jeffrey's introduced a bill to make police chokeholds illegal under federal law. That did not pass. He also called on New York City police to reform its low-level marijuana arrest policies. And in June of 2015, after uh, the white supremacist shootings at Emanuel Baptist Church in Charleston, Jeffries led the effort to have the Confederate flag removed from sales or display at National Park Service's land. Now, now, did you hear what I just said? In National Park Service lands in 2015, and by the way, still, because Jeffries' efforts to get the Confederate flag banned didn't pass because uh, Republicans did not agree to it. But on our parks, lands, they're flying the Confederate flag. Finally, on a somewhat dear note to me and to my heart, um, Jeffries uh, voted for the Equality Act, okay, uh, to ban discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. Whew, see, um, hey, Jeffries is also married and has two children. Now, how is it that Jeffrey succeeded Nancy Pelosi? Well, last summer, it became clear that Adam Schiff, the chair of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence and, and who was also a House impeachment mem- manager uh, for Trump uh, impeachment, I believe, number two, uh, that Schiff wanted to succeed Nancy Pelosi. Um, and so the word was about that it was, you know, Schiff wanted it. Hakeem Jeffries wanted it. But Jim Clyburn, who you may recall, was President Biden's kingmaker in the 2020 South Carolina primary. By the way, without Jim Clyburn, we would not have a President Biden. I just want to let you know that, okay? Jim Clyburn happens to be Jeffries' mentor. (laughs) Hakeem Jeffries' mentor is Jim Clyburn. And of course, there was, so Jim Clyburn, I think, has a lot of significance and power. And of course, there was a historical significance of Jeff of Hakeem Jeffries as the first black leader of the House of, of black leader of either party in the House, okay? Um, and he's also, you know, at 52, he's able to bridge differences between our octogenarians and our younger, uh, you know, Democratic colleagues. And so, I mean, he's in a perfect position to do things. That does not mean he's not the subject. As I was preparing this show just this morning, so we're taping it on Friday, I saw that Marjorie Taylor Greene launched a 30-second attack ad against Hakeem Jeffries. And you would know it, of course, because she does this. She just used his first name, Hakeem, throughout the attack ad. And you know why she did that, right? By the way, he's Baptist, not Muslim. All right, well, listen, I look forward to more, what more Hakeem Jeffries will bring to the fore in the years ahead. He is someone to watch. Maybe someday he'll be president. Who knows? Okay, there you go. Our featured idealist of the week. I hope you enjoyed that. I I did. He's a very important person in our political system right now, so it's all good to know more. All right, we're going to take a break. Then we're going to come back and do the big interview with Greg Anderson. You will love it. And then we'll do my C-Block after that. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on Twitter at elliekrug. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail. I love hearing from my listeners. We'll be back in a second.
And we're back. Ellie 2.0 Radio with me, your lovely Ellie Krug. Okay, so Hakeem Jeffries, pay attention. I mean, we're going to be hearing that name a whole lot as we go forward. So, all right, now time for the big interview. I am thrilled, absolutely thrilled to be able to present my friend and a colleague and supporter, Greg Anderson. Greg is a resident of Chaska, Minnesota, uh, Carver County, eastern Carver County specifically. By day, he is a realtor, a very, very successful realtor and property investor. But by, you know, much of what counts, he's an idealist. He is someone who has, he is the curator of this wonderful podcast, uh, Living in Car- Carver County. Greg Anderson, welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you, Ellie, for such a nice introduction. I'm, I was wondering who you were talking about. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, you know, I'm thrilled to have you, Greg, and I have, you know, uh, well, and we should make sure that the audience understands, I've been on your podcast, what, about two years ago, Living in Carver County. And uh, and that's how you and I got to know each other. But since then, you're a Rotarian, like I'm a Rotarian. You know, you're civic-minded, like I am. You help me uh, strategize about my campaign for the school board. You know, and you know, and I've gotten to know you and your wife and all that kind of stuff. So we're friends. But I've wanted to have you on the show because you are an idealist, even though maybe you don't label yourself that way. Because you you have created this podcast. Let's talk about the podcast first, okay? And then kind of segue sure. into why you're doing it and how, how it comes about. Now, I'm going to shut up because I'm actually interviewing you and not me. And so tell us what living in Carver County is all about. Well, the podcast is basically interviews with people. It's it's a very niche audience. So for somebody listening in St. Paul, they might it, it might not be very relevant, but it's local elected officials, it's business people. It's people that are involved with nonprofits. Um, you know, one of the uh, I had the president of Dunwoody on, and who happens to live in in Carver County, and we're talking about you know young people getting into the yeah. trades. Um, we had uh, we t- spent a lot of time talking with uh, around foster care. What I've tried to do is look at situations. I don't think for just as an example, Ellie. You know, like I had I've had two. We had two uh, interviews related to foster care, and I don't think anybody's going to really care what I think about Roe v. Wade, but there's inevitable consequence in a country where you want, where you're, there's the general psyche is that people who don't want to become parents or ill-equipped to become parents have to become parents, then there's an inevitable consequence to that, right? And so we spent time dealing with that. So we're trying to get on the solution side of things and, and awareness about issues and talk about things that won't fit on a meme or on a bumper sticker. Cause I think that's an, you know, kind of an ineffective way to uh, shape conversations. Okay. So uh, audience members, this is a familiar ringing that you're hearing in your ears right now because you just heard an idealist speak. <laughs> well, it's true. It's true. But Greg, let's talk. let so thank you. I think it's a wonderful podcast, and I hope that it gets audience members, by all means, go and, uh, well, Greg, tell them how they can get on the podcast. Is it through Spotify, 
Apple. Everywhere, anywhere, Apple, Google, um, Spotify. Um, there actually is a website called the, the Living in Carver County or Living in Carver County Podcast. Okay. Com, and then it has a feed with all of the episodes. Okay. All um, right. And, and we may come back to that in the interview, but what I want to do is really talk about the circuitous route that got you to doing what you're doing, because as you and I have talked, I mean, you grew up in Marshfield, Wisconsin, you know, uh, on a farm and uh, with a very strong Catholic upbringing, Catholic family. And then when... <laughs> You know, and this was in the what we're talking the the seventies, right? No, the the mm-hmm. yep, yeah, okay, and and then you late seventies, yeah. And then you decided when you turned eighteen, um, and you weren't happy with your dad, you decided that you were going to get in your car and drive to Dallas, Texas. Right? Am I right about that? <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, which you know is not something a whole lot of eighteen year olds do. All right, and then. Will you, you and I agreed that the theme of this talk will be about the bubble, okay? And the way that we shape our worlds according to things that we're only comfortable with and things that we know. You started to puncture that bubble when you were 18. Can you tell the audience, how did that happen? And what, how did your world start to expand? Well, and you know, I was, I, 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 talked to a friend of mine lately. And uh, in fact, she's the person who gave me your original contact information. And I said, you know, there was a time in my life, I was happy in unconscious incompetence. You know, I was, I was kind of blissful in my little bubble of, of, of not knowing and not knowing that I didn't know. Uh, you know, the town that I grew up in, there were three Catholic elementary schools. And just for diversity, there was a Lutheran school they threw in there. And so, we, you know, so I, you talk about a bubble and then uh, moving, to, you know, and I thought that I thought the world was the way that it was presented to me in that right. bubble. Right. And moving to Dallas was very eye opening. You know, the uh, I did a variety of jobs. I moved there with a couple a few hundred dollars in my pocket, a car that I had a loan on and I, I needed to work. And one of the jobs that I got was a uh, it was a company that it was an exercise facility, but it was a company owned by a gay man. And so having, you know, it was like having conversations. And at the time, you know, it was, it was, I recognized that it, it just, I was more curious about things and I would have conversations with them and, you know, they interpreted that interest as something else. And so I had to kind of get clear in my head. It's like, well, you know, what does this mean? And, um, and so it, it just started to open up my world and, you know, knowing people always is, you know, when you, when you meet someone, it's a whole different thing. You know, it, it takes then, but now it's Ellie's my friend, as opposed to, you know, those people. <laughs> and that I kind of grew up in that sort of a bubble where, you know, the, there was always somebody else that was them or, you know, those people or that right. kind of thing. And when you start engaging with people, you realize that everybody has kind of the same you know, basic human needs, right? You know, the need to feel, have certainty, the needs to have some uh, variety, the need to, you know, um, have significance, to have love. Love and And, be loved, loved and be loved for sure. Yeah, exactly. So, so that was a big part of it. Being in Dallas, I was young. I mean, I think I still had, uh, you know, uh, I I still had cow crap between my toes. I mean, I was about as green as green can be. And, uh, 
uh, I met someone who had a profound impact on my life and it was haphazard. You know, I asked him where I was and he, cause I was calling for directions. This is before cell phones. And I had to, uh, I was at a pay phone calling for a job interview and, and I did tap the guy next to me to ask where I was. And he, I, I could tell he thought I was a rube cause he gave me his card and he said, just let me know you're okay. You know, give me a call in a couple of weeks. And so we had a wonderful lifelong relationship. He passed away, um, in 2018. Um, oddly enough, same year as my dad passed away hmm. and I actually got to see him right before he died. I was down and I was back down in Dallas and, uh, but you know, just that idea of, in, of leaning into people, you know, that, that investment that people make in other people that you have this obligation, I think, to pay it forward, you know, to, to be that person for other people. Well, so, no, you know, and it's so prof, I mean, it's so profound what you're saying, Greg, and yet we don't do this, okay? Because we're afraid of of people that we don't know, and we're afraid of 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 things that we don't understand. But you, I mean, so you had this experience in Dallas. You get to know, you know, different people, but particularly gay people, and and you you get to understand the things that you assume growing up as a kid, what the Catholic Church may have been t- teaching you, or but the jokes you may have been hearing you know, as a teenager or whatever about gay people, you, you come to understand that actually they're real humans, right? And, and some of them care about you, you know, not um, romantically, but, you know, on a platonic level, and, and you start to f- figure that out. But then you carry, as you're talking about carrying forward, you know, you, you, you eventually end up back here in the Twin Cities or in, in the Twin Cities, you know, you, you get married, and then you start doing something which I think is incredible. You started hosting exchange students. Am I right about that? Yeah, we, uh, yeah, there's a big gap in there, but, but yeah, I moved back. Part of the thing about Dallas is that I was in over my head, you know, and I just, I don't want to belabor that too much, but I was in way over my head. I was in, I was, you know, an 18 year old, 19 year old guy right off the farm. I mean, green as green can be. And everyone that was in, in my world was in their late thirties, early forties. This was pre-AIDS. This was, you know, access to uh, f- uh, pharmaceuticals. You know, there was a lot of things going on that I had to kind of recognize that if I stayed in that environment, um, and actually that was kind of how I framed it with my parents. And I, and I mentioned my, you mentioned my dad, we certainly reconciled many, 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 many years ago. And, you know, it was just mm-hmm. an unfortunate thing, but, but I, the conversation was that if I stay here <clears throat> in this environment, I don't think I'm going to like the person that I'm going to become in 10 or 15 years. And so I had that realization. So that was yeah. partly why I moved here. But yeah, and then I met, you know, I met uh, my wife, I think I shared with you, I put a thing on was 40 years ago, um, on New Year's Eve that we had met and, uh, you know, got and married and and so wanting to have these people in our line students. And so we've hosted a dozen international students in our home over the years, which was really profound in terms of the impact it had on our family, the conversations around the dinner table, you know, all of those things. It was, uh, it was wonderful. I can't, uh, highly, re- I can't recommend it enough. But well, but you also told me about having the exchange students, which I thought was just incredibly kind and compassionate, but understanding was that you, you felt the need that when you had an exchange student at your dinner table to understand and remember, go ahead and say it, that at another table. Yeah, I actually did talks to other Rotary clubs to encourage their members to host the students. And so one of the, the things that occurred to me one night is we're sitting at our dinner table and there's someone sitting at our table 
And it changed our mindfulness around the conversations because you think about the fact that there's someone sitting at my table, but somewhere on another part of the earth, there's a family sitting down to dinner with an empty chair. And so there was a, it, it felt like a responsibility hmm. to make this sacrifice that the family made by losing their child for a year and the expense involved with that and the, you know, to make that count, to make that um, uh, significant. And so it was a, it was a cool thing. And, and our kids got a tremendous benefit from it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's about, again, exploring boundaries and, and understanding that there are different perspectives and all that stuff, you know, but let's go back and talk about this bubble thing. Okay. Because, sure. um, as you and I spoke, uh, off, off mic, it's the bubble that is keeping us as a country from moving forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. This, this notion that, I mean, I, I exist, I got a pretty good genetic shake. I mean, looking at me, you would go, really? But, <laughs> but, maybe not. Let's not get too far out in front of our Greg, you know, buddy. I love bald but, men with goatees. I'm just telling you. Okay, honey. But, you know, but, but to be born a white guy in the early 60s, you know, historically, that's a pretty good hand to get dealt, right? And 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 although and there think, are a lot of white guys that would disagree with that right now, but go on, go on. Yep. Well, I mean, but that's, that's the bubble. That's the bubble. Of, that's a yeah. lack of awareness because right. the fact of the matter is, who would you trade places with? You yeah. know, yeah. you think about it from a historical standpoint. I wouldn't trade places with me from the early 1900s because, you know, I really don't want to get diphtheria or polio or any of these things, right? So, I mean, all in all, in a pretty good shake. And it'd be pretty easy for me to live my life and not be exposed to anyone that's really outside yeah. of my little, you know, heterative, normal, uh, you know, world, yeah. white, privileged existence. But, you know, that's not really how the world works. And, and, and the people that live there, there's this expression I think you and I have talked about. It, it's been around forever. It's, you know, born on third base and every day you wake up and you think you hit a triple, you know. <laughs> and, and I just, I, I think that's just such a lack of awareness. It's, you know, and, and, you know, having gone through some diversity and equity, I went through a diversity equity program uh, through the University of Minnesota that was for all the volunteers that work at launch. I, I was one of the adulting mentors for homeless teens. And so there was a lot of um, diversity work and equity around that. And um, it, there's just so many people that just don't have a sense that it, you know the idea that, okay, yeah, you work hard, for example. You know, there's right. a bunch of people in the Twin Cities in general, I don't want to pick on Carver County, but just in general and say, well, I worked hard and I, I, you know, this idea that it's complete meritocracy and that's, you know, the idea of equity doesn't say that you didn't work hard. It just says your, your circumstance, you know, this other circumstance wasn't something you also had to overcome. Right. Right. You know, you your didn't... gender, your sexuality, yeah. your race you know, your, you know, physical, any physical limitations, those, you didn't have to overcome those. That doesn't mean you had, didn't have to work. You just didn't have that other baggage to deal with. And, and, and the idea that that's um, outside people's awareness boggles me, boggles my mind. And, and, and so I, I find, I, I struggle with the idea of checking people 
and and also being in a business where I need to maintain rapport with people, you know, finding that kind of finesse that it's like, okay, you know, they I wasn't brought into their world to beat them over the head and you know and and try to bring them into the light, right? And yet you as a as a person who's had, uh, you know, I suggest significant privilege. I feel like there's a an opportunity there's an obligation to make the you know have discussions about these things well it's about modeling for sure right you know mm -hmm. and i mean your podcast i think is an exercise in modeling it just really because it's very broad and 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 and, and by the way i love the little write-ups you have on the podcast you just it's so um personal the the way that you write about what your interviewees said and and who they are um I'm watching my time here a little bit, Greg. And so sure. let me ask you this, okay? Uh, this bubble thing, I mean, I, you and I, even at, long after this radio show, we're going to be talking about the bubble thing. And, and we're, I'm sure that you and I will be collaborating to see how together we can work to talk about this in, in the public and help people to take risks, right? Because it's about taking risks to get outside mm -hmm. the bubble, you know? And then people are afraid to take those kinds of risks. But let me... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Go oh, I was just going to say, there also, there's the other challenge, the layer on there is this idea that somehow this is, that this is, that, you know, these privileges they have are, are bestowed on them by God and that they have, that there's, that there's some kind of moral uh, imperative to the messages that they're doing. That just adds a layer of complexity to that. And, uh, and, and that's what you and I've talked about having a crisis of church as opposed, as opposed to not, I mean, not, I don't have a crisis of faith. I do have a crisis of church because there's this, you, there's these, you talk about a bubble, but then there's also these structural supports that make this, that go beyond just the idea that this is this, I, that this is an okay opinion, but that this is actually, you know, that there's some, there's a religious component that justifies that. Yeah. And, so and, and a fabric, that, a fabric over the bubble, you know? Exactly. Yeah. The, yes, yeah. Yes, exactly. The scaffolding. If yeah. you will. So let me, and, and we'll come back and have that discussion. I'm sure yeah. many times. Say, is, let's end on something light. <laughs> well, so the question, well, hold on, hold on, you know, because it's not a given when you were growing up in Marshfield that you and I would ever be talking to each other. We've already, I think, established that with this interview. Nor was it a given that you'd be talking to the other people that are on your, you know, that you have on your podcast, okay? And generally, I mean, I've seen you operate in public with, you know, just humans, and you are very kind and, and warm and, and very welcoming to everybody. But what, what, what do you think it was that made you so willing to take risks, to get out of the bubble, to be idealistic? What, what, was, in, what was in your DNA? What was it, you know... Why'd you get to be the way that you are? Um, Idealistically. Examples? Yeah, I, that's the question, right? Um, the examples of people that had grace, you know, that uh, bestowed grace on people that I had in my life. I mean, I was a bonehead. I said stuff that I would be horribly embarrassed if it came out today. And people, you know, over many years, and they were about different things. And and people showed me grace. They showed me kindness, and they helped educate me. And it made me realize that, you know, I I mean, I I, I think you, there's this goal of I want to be better today than I was yesterday, mm. but tomorrow I'm going to be better than I am today. 
And, you know, and I, I try to apply that to a variety, everything in my life, you know, whether it's, you know, around fitness or my relationship with my family or, you know, clients or the business or whatever. I mean, because there's no, there's no staying still in anything in the, in nature, right? You're either growing or you're dying. And I actually have t-shirts that have that on in, in Norwegian, by the way, but, um, <laughs> It just makes for more conver interesting conversations. But it, you know, you're either growing or you're dying. And I just think that um, that relationship aspect, you know, of how you engage with people is something that you can always be better at. So, but again, that answers your question. No, but. it it does. And and but the thing is, and and is that you've learned, okay. And and this word grace, I just I'm really thrilled that you're using it because I don't think that we we use that word nearly enough along with the word dignity. We don't use the word dignity very often anymore. Um, but, but, you know, again, you've been willing to do things where many of your cohorts have been unwilling uh, to do it. And we just, I, I, we just have to move as a society to have a whole lot more Greg Andersons out there, you know, who are willing to, to, to talk about this publicly like we're doing right now, Okay, because people learn from this stuff. They're like, oh, it's okay that I do that. Or, okay, if he can do that, maybe I'm going to be willing to do that, you know, kind of thing. Do we have a second? I have something that I think ties in with that nicely. Sure, how, how, sure. When you came to the Rotary Club, there was somebody, and, and I won't, we're not going to mention by name, but you said he was attempting to relitigate the Civil War, so we know who we're talking about. And this person had a, a significant breach of, he, he did something he was involved with it, with the group. I don't want to get too specific, but he did something that was a really a big breach. And when he got he got checked in the softest, most gentlest way by the person who would be have this, the, the softest touch. And like a lot of people, it literally like white out of white fragility, right? Where you the, when you get checked because you did something, of course, you're, you become the victim. Right. And and it was just textbook. Except here's the thing. He had the thought process that he realized he had made a mistake. He came back to the group. He apologized and the group forgave him. Mm -hmm. And he was a valuable part of the group right up until he passed away. And that's something that I think is missing. And I think that's something that people are fearful of is this idea that I'm going to make a mistake and they're so worried about making a mistake that they don't say anything. And there just has to be that forgiveness. And that's part of that educational process. Ab absolutely. It, well, but that's also grace, you know, and absolutely. You know, absolutely. Well, Greg, it's been a real pleasure and an honor to talk with you here. I hope that you've found it valuable. I don't think I'm nearly as good an interviewer as you are on your podcast, but eh, you know, Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, well you, you got a bigger challenge today <laughs> trying to get a Luddite to speak. But, oh, stop it. Just stop it. But, but this has been fun. I've enjoyed this very much. Thank you. So have I. And, and thank you for being on LE 2.0 Radio. And I really appreciate all that you're doing for the world. Keep it up. Listeners, go check out Living in Carver County, the podcast with Greg Anderson. And, um, and, and you won't be sorry. You'll enjoy it. So, Greg, take care until I see you next time, okay? All right, Ellie. All right. You're the best. Thank Th you. Thanks so very much. All right, listeners. Well, uh, you know, there we go, the big interview. 
When I come back, we're going to do my C block. I'm going to talk to you about two things um, about gratitude and about something else. Okay, we'll be back in a second. Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. We're back. Ellie 2.0 Radio. I hope you enjoyed that interview of my friend Greg Anderson. He is a really, really decent person. Check out the check out Living in Carver County podcast. You will enjoy it. Okay, C-Block, my work. Two things I want to talk about very quickly. I don't have that much time. First, uh, over the holidays, I took a 3,000-mile, eight-day car drive <laughs> to southern Utah and back. Let me just tell you, it was what my soul needed greatly. Jack, by the way, my dog, he had to go into the kennel, which I don't think I'm going to do that again for such a long time. But, but you know, and seeing America change from the forests and the lakes of Minnesota to the farmland of Iowa, the flatness and boringness of Nebraska, yes, but then you get into west, eastern Colorado and then starts to change again. You see the mountains and then you're in the mountains and then you go down out of the mountains and then you go back to sort of flatland and then you get into the granite mountains and, and, the, and the sandstone rocks and all that stuff of Utah. Stunning. And one of the reasons I wanted to take that trip is I needed to be with myself for a while. I just, you know, I've talked about this school campaign to become, get on the school board. It took a lot out of me between August and November, a whole lot. And it was good to be in the car. And one of the things I did in the car is I turned off the radio for 200 miles and I talked to myself. I needed to do that because I hadn't been talking to myself. And one of the things that I ended up concluding is that I need to live my life with more gratitude than what I've been doing. Gratitude as in, hey, you just woke up. Congratulations. You know, I just had my 66th birthday. Let me tell you, okay? You know, that's something to be happy about that you woke up. And Jack, my dog, oh, I've changed the whole way I view that little boy. And I've concluded he is my family now. And yep. So anyway, all right. Second thing I wanted to talk with you about, as you know, I did run for the school board. It was a hotly contested election. There were 12 candidates vying for four seats. I came in number three, uh, you know, so I got on, but there was a slate of four, the conservative candidates, the ones that wanted to end, you know, teaching about diversity, equity, and inclusion. The one that's like, we're not going to give any special treatment or protection for LGBTQ students, that group of people. There were four of them that ran as a block. Um, and one of them got elected. So he came in number four out of the, you know, four seats that were open. So he followed me and I will tell, and I've gotten to know him. He is a decent guy. Okay. You know, we, right before Thanksgiving, we sat and had lunch, even celebratory drinks at lunch. Yes, we did that. And we talked about how we actually like each other and how we think each other is decent. And he's getting the same comments I'm getting, which is how, how can you be her friend? Okay, because of what I stand for and what I keep hearing in the time since the election. And by the way, I get sworn in on Monday, the 9th. Okay, but what I keep hearing is we're thrilled about three of the four. And you know what I'm doing? 
your idealistic friend here, your idealistic radio host. Do you know what I'm saying? Hold on a second. Don't do that. I'm saying the fourth is a decent guy, okay? Give him a chance, okay? I don't think that he's going to be throwing, you know, bombs. He, you know, and he and I have talked about maybe there's a possibility that we can model about getting past, you know, the, the, the divide. We'll see. I mean, time will show. But I am your idealistic radio host here is I am every time somebody says, I like three but the four. Every time I'm like, hold on. Don't do that. And you know what, listeners? We all need to do that. We need to, need to give people chances. We need to stop the labeling. We need to stop the grouping. We need to stop, you know, oh my God. And we just need to approach and let everybody show up as humans. Now, yeah, we're going to have differences and yeah, there'll be, but that's, that's part of the democracy and the world. It's the demonizing, the demonizing, which is the horror because it's the demonizing. We just got done talking to Greg Anderson about the bubble. It's the demonizing that prevents us from moving forward. And boy, do we need to move forward. And if there's any other reason, I mean, you can't come up, well, why should we move forward? We need to move forward for the kids because we've got to give them a country. We've got to have a country for them to grow up in. We do. I know that sounds you know, really dramatic, but you know what? Look at what's going on right now. I mean, you know, the House of Representatives, some of the things that you're hearing, you know, about the Freedom Caucus and how they're going to change America. and all I mean, it's about demonizing people, okay, for political advantage. And we have to stop this. We do. That's me, unifier, not a divider. All right, I've got to wind her up. I want to give a big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, we haven't worked together for a while, and it's just lovely to have you back. And uh, to you, my listeners... I hope you've liked this show. You know, it's unorthodox. It's, you know, I'm not all that articulate, whatever, but I'm real, okay? And, by the way, I care about you. I do. All of you. And so, between now and next week, and next week I'm going to be live, do me a favor, will you? Will you go out and do something to make the world better? And when somebody says something about demonizing another person, will you do this? Hey, wait. That's what you do. Take care. Bye-bye.